0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. And
1: this is the
2: NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
3: G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. What do the next five years look like for Australia's crocodile industry? Today we take a look at the industry's new R&D plan.
4: Success to me looks like an industry that has increased export sales. The ultimate way to achieve that is to maintain that natural animal leathers are by far superior to any faux leather products that's on the market.
3: And what will cattle prices do over the next five years? Wouldn't you love to know? Well, analyst Simon Quilty will be on the Country Hour today with his very bold forecast. And tell me, should pig hunting with dogs be banned?
0: I think that, you know, we need to look at what pig dogging itself is. Um, It is such an extremely inhumane action. Um, It can't be justified in any sense of the word.
3: Yeah, there's a push on in New South Wales to ban pig hunting with dogs. I'll tell you all about it on today's Country Hour. We're broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC. G'day there if you have downloaded the podcast. It's a Friday and we've got a big, big show. Let's start by going straight to Borralula because this Northern Territory town has been cut off by floodwaters for almost two weeks and has now run out of fresh food. Casey Huck's lives in town, and she spoke to Dan Fitzgerald just a short time ago.
5: Yeah, so um, we had that uh, tropical cyclone come through on Friday the 16th, but um, our roads got uh, closed off on the Carpentaria Highway on a Wednesday the 14th, um, so the Wednesday before the cyclone hit with heavy rainfall and all that. Um, predominantly, it was all closed around the detour, which is about 100 K's from Highway Inn. Um, So that's a detour that's been going on around the roadworks there on the Carpentry Highway for some time now. But because it's all dirt, as soon as it gets any rain on it, it sort of bogs up and trucks get bogged in it and it tears it up. So we have to close
6: it. (laughs) And when was the last fresh food delivery into Borralula?
5: Yeah, so Borralula gets two trucks a week usually with um, food and fresh veggies and, you know, your mail and all that sort of stuff. So we usually get that on a Wednesday and a Friday. Um, our last one was on Friday the 9th of February, so we've been pretty short on food now, going on two weeks.
6: How are the shelves looking in the local shop?
5: Um, so we've got three sort of supermarkets here in town, locally owned, um, one being an Alpa store and a, another store that's owned by someone else, but um, they're looking pretty bare. We run out of all our fresh stuff, obviously, first, like our meats, um, Fresh meats, veggies, fruits, and all that. Milk and bread were pretty quick to go as well. So we've been going on tin stuff and frozen food um, for two weeks now. Uh, I think even the tin food's starting to look a little bit dry now in the shop shelves and stuff.
6: Are the shops at risk of running out of food?
5: Um, so we've sort of got word that we may have a truck come through over the weekend. At the moment, they're looking pretty bare, and we're, you know, sort of starting to crack down on like, right, oh, we need to start thinking about maybe emergency stocks coming in. But I think we might be right if we do get a truck over the weekend. Uh, Another thing that's sort of running low on us out here is um, uh, diesel and petrol. So we usually get a fuel truck come out as well at the same time. And they're looking a bit low as well. So the bowsers are starting to close up.
6: How are people in the town coping? Oh,
5: you know, we all live here. So we expect this sort of stuff over the wet with road closures most years that happened so, um, and with cyclones and flooding and stuff like that, that happens every year. So we sort of plan for it but, you know, with the combination of the cyclone and then we didn't have phone signal and then now with the roads being closed for two weeks and food running out, we, you know, we're getting by but, yeah, everyone's starting to ask some questions and they're getting a little bit worried but I think we're all getting by, like we're still able to go fishing and all that sort of stuff. So <laughs> that's the main thing.
6: <laughs> uh, do people feel they've got enough support from government?
5: Uh, Well, not really. Um, We haven't really heard much on the government. Um, You know, most places they get evacuated out or they get, you know, food stocks sent in and like, I don't know if we, you know, we were in desperate need of it to get it flown in, but it might have helped a little while to ease some of the anxiety around it all.
6: So yeah, I guess fingers crossed hopefully uh there might be some good news tomorrow with the road opening.
5: Yeah. Yeah, well we've been getting a few updates from our local police sergeant. He's been in contact with Dipple and um the roadworks and everything out there and he's been getting regular updates. So we usually get an update morning and afternoon on what's happening. So hopefully they get a special permit and they're able to fix the road enough to get a truck in by, you know, tomorrow or at the very latest Monday. So, and then we can all rest a little bit easier with some food.
6: <laughs> and how is the MacArthur River looking? Um, have you been able to bag some some fish lately?
5: Uh, she's still a little bit high to be out fishing. Um, I know a lot of the local guys have been out fishing around like the um, the backwater sort of thing and um, been catching a few things out on the ocean. But um, our river sort of peaked on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, earlier this week, it peaked at around uh, 6.8 metres, I think it was, So not quite under the bridge, but um, it was getting pretty close. They had a lot more rain in our catchment areas over the cyclone. So I think for the cyclone weekend, we got a total of about 100 mil here in town. But there's areas up in the catchment that got like over the 200 mil. So that's what brought our river up. And it was sort of up and down there for the last week or so. And it's still sort of up and down, but it is dropping away.
3: That is Casey Hux, who's in Borralula this afternoon. So market shelves looking extremely bare in town. A spokesperson for the Department of Infrastructure says contractors and road inspectors are on the ground working hard to reopen the Carpentaria Highway. Pending final repair works, inspections and the weather, it looks likely that the Carpentaria Highway will reopen tomorrow for high-clearance four-wheel drive vehicles only. Motorists are advised to avoid any unnecessary travel and to check the Road Report NT prior to any travel. And the NT government is working with suppliers to prioritise food freight for Boralula. We're joined this afternoon by Steve Edgington, who is the CLP's member for Barclay. Boralula is in his electorate. Um, Afternoon to you, Steve. What's your understanding on uh, how hungry things are getting in
7: Boralula? Yeah, good afternoon, Matt, and good afternoon to all the listeners. And, uh, yeah, it's certainly uh, the... uh Shelves are bare. Well, many of the shelves are bare there in uh, Borralula at the moment. Uh, but I've been told that uh, it'll be approaching three weeks uh, since there has been a delivery of food out there. So, look, I started getting some calls yesterday about the uh, uh, lack of food in Borralula. Uh, and, and if we go back just a, a f- few steps before that, I think the road's been closed since around about the 14th of February. And, of course, yep. the cyclone went through there last week. So there's been a range of uh, issues there in Borralula. Uh, I did speak to one of the residents on uh, Friday who uh, reassured me that there was plenty of dry food in the in the community, but it, uh, certainly by taking some calls yesterday uh, through my office and me speaking to a resident personally, it became pretty clear that the shelves are uh, fairly bare there. So they've really uh, relied on dry food. Hmm. Uh, there's no fresh food there at all at the moment, I believe.
3: It is the wet season. Roads do get cut. Do you feel there's anything that could be done to have improved this situation?
7: Yeah, it's, it, I think it's uh, you know it's been a, a, a fine line, and I think what we've seen is a combination of uh, issues there at Borough Oil with the road closed and the uh, cycling going through there. You know, there is at the moment. Uh, what I have been told is that the road. Uh, will be open and there will be a food truck traveling to Borlula tomorrow uh, a permit uh, will be issued so there should be fresh food on the ground in Borlula tomorrow mm. one of the things that uh, you know has happened with the borralula uh, situation is the carpentaria highway is currently under uh, uh, construction uh, so to speak uh, the first 48 kilometers have been uh, uh, rebuilt and uh, lifted in a range of areas so that's uh, generally flood proof for about the first 48 kilometres. Uh, beyond the first 48 kilometres from the Stuart Highway, there's uh, detours in place and there's still roadworks going on. So look, over the longer term, that road will be lifted in a number of areas. Uh, the next stage is roughly uh, just over 90 kilometres. So at the moment where those low areas are and around the detour, it, look, it doesn't take much uh, with the wet weather at the moment to uh, uh, close those roads. and uh, Looking at some of the photos on the road report uh, NT yesterday uh, shows the condition of some of those uh, details. It's a mud
3: pit out there, isn't it?
7: No, it certainly is. And, uh, um, look, there's uh, a lot of areas. And and to make it even more difficult, I suppose, for Boralula is that the Tablelands Highway has been closed as well. So that's uh, had additional impact. Uh, You know, sometimes when the Carpentaria has been flooded and closed, there is an opportunity to go up, up, uh, you know, off the Barclay Highway and up through the Tablelands, but uh, that's closed at the moment as well. And what we've seen through that area is quite significant rain over the last uh, few weeks. And really, it's the second time this year. You know, we had quite a bit of rain, uh, you know, the week before Australia Day. But what we're seeing now is another uh, low pressure system uh, arising from that cyclone going through as well
3: so just sort of going back to that question is this just a case of it's the wet season and that's just life or do you feel anything could be done uh,
7: yeah look I, I think uh look I, I do have confidence in the people on the ground and i think uh you know uh, trevor the oic there has been part of the emergency management team there on the ground in uh, borralula uh, i know that there has been conversations with the uh uh, critical goods uh, subgroup, uh, I did make contact with the emergency controller uh, on Friday and certainly discussed the issues around food and you know, it's it's one of those issues and uh, it's hard to uh, place blame anywhere because I think uh, from what I've heard from different people is that there has been dry food but uh, it certainly would have helped I think uh, if the government was able to uh, at least uh, get a plain load of fresh food in there. It, w- it would have made a difference, it would have uh, uh, you know, boosted morale because mm. uh, the worst thing about being in an isolated area is uh, it's, it's the unknown. So, uh, people, uh, uh, you know, people do uh, some people panic after a while when there's uh, the food starts to deplete and there's no end in sight. But, yeah. uh, well, have a um, where tomorrow hopefully that truckle will arise.
3: Yeah, shout out to everyone in town. Let's hope the food can get there tomorrow. Just before you go, Steve Edgington, a yep. question out of left field. No warning you've had on this one. <laughs> What's your thoughts on pig dogging? Should it be banned? On Sorry, say that one on, again? On pig dogging. So using dogs to hunt feral pigs. Should it be banned?
7: Well, I'm not uh, overly familiar with the sport. I've certainly come across people that uh, have participated in it, but... Look, I wouldn't uh, jump to uh, saying that it should be banned. Uh, I think I'd like to have uh, some further conversations about that because it's not a sport that I participate in.
3: No worries. Good diplomatic stuff on a Friday. Thanks so much for your time.
7: Appreciate it. Good on you, Matt. And uh, best uh, all the best to all those at uh, Boralula that may be listening in. Uh, uh, that food's on the way, so uh, take care, everybody.
3: Cheers. That is Steve Edgington, who is the CLP's member for the Barclay. On the text line, Sprinkles says, Matt, are you for real? No dogs for pig hunting? I don't think the cat would be any good at pigging, says Sprinkles on 0487 Why are we talking about pig hunting using dogs? Well, it's because over in New South Wales, there are calls for this to be banned. I'll tell you more about it after this tune by John Williamson. Right across the territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Police in regional New South Wales have called for the use of dogs to hunt feral pigs to be made illegal. The Rural Crime Unit has asked the state government to consider changing the legislation to specifically prohibit the use of hunting dogs to hunt animals, in particular feral pigs. New South Wales Police said it allocates significant resources and funding to prevent illegal trespassing from a minority of pig hunters that have been causing anxiety, fear, anguish and anger to rural landholders for decades. Animal Justice Party Emma Hurst told Hugh Hogan that she wants this practice made illegal.
0: It's a big concern. It's something that we do hear a lot from regional and rural communities about. I know that um, a lot of the time it's involved with other illegal activity as well, such as trespassing. Um, There's been an enormous number of of complaints um, of illegal trespass with pig doggers going onto um, people's property in the middle of the night um, without permission. Um, So there is this whole sort of um, legally dubious area, um, and particularly in regards to um, the amount of pain and suffering that is occurring, but of course, um, the enforcement agencies, which is the police, the RSPCA and the Animal Welfare League, um, have not, to my knowledge, ever taken an, a case actually to court um, to see if it is um, technically deemed as illegal. Um, but as the Act itself is being reviewed, um, hopefully um, we can get this across to the Minister. Um, and she can really start to look into into this and make sure that that rural crime prevention um, is put into place and considered as part of the Pockter Act.
1: Some people might say, you know, pig dogging is an important practice for controlling wild pig numbers. What would you say to something like that?
0: I think that you know we need to look at what pig dogging itself is. Um, It is such an extremely inhumane action. Um, It can't be justified in any sense of the word. Um, I know that um, a lot of hunting um, organisations have even contacted us and they are against pig-dogging because of the absolute brutality um, that's been seen in a lot of this footage. Um, A lot of this footage goes up online on people's Facebook and other social media um, and it gets taken down. It gets taken down because it is so graphic. It's just so brutal. Um, and we would really like the Minister to make sure that she listens to the community um, and make sure that that's included in the new Act.
3: That is the Animal Justice Party's Emma Hurst. What do you think, Country Hour fans, should pig dogging be banned? The push is on there in New South Wales. Our text number is 0487 the Australian Pig Doggers and Hunters Association president, Ned Makeham, says he doesn't think more changes are needed to the current legislation.
8: We understand that the police are frustrated, but we don't understand how banning something that's already banned, illegal hunting, is already banned, and the police say they can't control it. Um, well, that's how I read it. But just, so their solution then is to bring in more bans. So well, who's going to police those? The, the, the difficulty for us is that what we've suggested post-illegal you know, hunting reviews and things like that is that the, one of the solutions would be regulation of pig hunting with dogs uh, through a licensing system or an expansion of the restricted game hunting license system in New South Wales. We've suggested that for New South Wales, for Queensland, for Victoria, for the ACT uh, in animal welfare reviews, we see that as a way of delineating the, the separation between legal and illegal hunters. Um, so the, 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 at the moment, the police have difficulty identifying who's legal and who's illegal. Uh, the only way they can do it is if the person can produce permission um, to be wherever they are, and you've got seven days to do that. That's uh, how the law works. And if you can't produce that, that proof of permission, then uh, you, know, you can be fined and all that sort of stuff. Um, so we think that the, the, the solution is, in fact, regulation, not another, like, another ban. Like, I, I, I don't understand the thinking. It's just really confusing to me.
3: That is Ned makem who's the president of the Australian Pig Doggers and Hunters Association. You can read more about this story up online right now if you go searching for ABC Rural. And you might have your own thoughts this afternoon. I mean, this is a call that's happening in New South Wales. Should pig dogging be and 487 99 1057 is our text number at the country hour. Up next, we're getting out the crystal ball. Wouldn't you love to know what cattle prices are going to do over the next five, six, seven years? Respected analyst, Simon Quilty, he has this week made a very bold prediction on cattle prices over the next few years. He'll share his thoughts with you next.
9: This week on Landline,
4: from a failed hazelnut venture to a golden opportunity to grow Australia's appetite for pistachios.
6: Good growth over the last six years since we started
8: our nursery.
4: And the dairy farmers getting out of their comfort zones to shine a light
8: on mental health. There's a lot of soul-searching inside a tractor by yourself wondering, you know, how am I going to get out of all this?
3: That's Landline, Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. And the marker report, Pip. How good is the marker report? On the text line, 0487991057, someone here says, Woo back, six-pack. Forget pigging with dogs. How about banning horse racing because it's cruel? Says someone this afternoon on 0487991057.
9: Hi, I'm Nicola Hanran. I live in Darwin, and I'm a researcher at CDU. I listened to the Country Hour on my way to work.
3: Someone else here says Emma Hurst from the Animal Justice Party is no doubt trying to ban greyhound racing and ban horse racing as well. She'll be on the Save the Environment as well, says someone. On 0487 991057. Now, as you know, Country Hour fans, cattle prices fell a long, long way last year, bottoming out in the month of October. But according to one industry analyst, prices will not get that low again for at least the next five years. It comes as new figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics show Australia's cattle herd is not really growing or liquidating. It's in a bit of a hold pattern. Although that kind of depends a bit on which state you're running your cattle in, but nonetheless, Simon Quilty from Global Agri Trends he thinks cattle prices are set for some big highs and a new norm. Here he is explaining his take on the data.
10: I would at best describe the herd today in a holding pattern across Australia, but interestingly, we had Of the number of states in which was contracting the last quarter, there was close to three contracting, I guess, in the last quarter. And today that's jumped to four contracting, two on hold, two now expanding. So we've got Queensland actually improving and Tasmania improving in terms of rebuilding but the other states still are contracting and it nets out with overall Australia's in a holding pattern.
1: Where does this leave the state of the beef market? We saw difficult conditions for farmers in terms of prices they were getting at the end of last year. That turned around around the the turn of the year. Where do we sit now? Well, to me, all of this
10: recent rise is on the back of restricted supply. It isn't on the back of strong global markets. So contrary to popular belief that higher exports means better demand, that's not true. In actual fact, throughout all of last year, we took lower prices in all global markets with beef and with lamb and mutton. And we've come off the bottom That's without doubt in the last probably quarter, but we're still hovering at the bottom and we're needing global markets to improve. So the take-home message, Warwick, is we need global demand to pick
1: up. I've spoken to you in the past about Australia having the cheapest beef in the world. Is that still the case?
10: No, it's not. I mean, you know, we can find lots of countries, but right now, in actual fact, we are cheaper than Brazil and the US. Today, Australia sits on finished cattle into um, you know, into the processor of around 390 a kilo live weight. We've got Brazil at 445 for an equivalent size animal and the US at $6.
1: That's Australian dollars?
10: That's correct, Warwick.
1: So we're not the cheapest, but compared to our major export competitors, we are still cheaper in terms of what farmers are getting for cattle than those nations. Because of that, you see upside in what I producers do, I, can get this year.
10: Warwick, I think globally, livestock prices are too cheap, full stop, including America, including Brazil and ourselves. And we are, I'm of the opinion, about to move into resetting the the, the market and What I would call the new norm, in which we are going to trade at significantly higher levels than what we've seen over the last five years. And as we get into 2025, next year and beyond, we trade at new levels. And with that, I am calling the EYCI, the ECI, to be at around about 1250 in 2026. And twelve fifty in twenty twenty-seven. Today's price is about six fifty. Today the figures showed us on cattle that we've come out at a break-even. We're neither building um, or liquidating. But as we go forward, I think the peak in production for beef has now been put in place. And hereafter, for the next probably five years or longer, seven years, we will not get back to these high levels of beef production.
1: Extrapolating that out, you think the low prices of 2023, particularly for beef producers, is probably the worst they're going to get for the next half decade?
10: Longer. Thereafter, Warwick. I I have a seven-year average on pricing on the EYCI from 2025 to 2032, at 1,050. And if we were to talk in feeder steer prices, my seven-year average for, for 2025 to 32 is 520. Keep in mind today's price is 345 live weight. So a 520 average on feeder steers from for seven years from 2025 to 2032. Welcome to the new norm.
3: That is Simon Quilty from Global Agri-Trend speaking to Warwick Long and cattle producers will be hoping he's right. They'll be hoping Simon's on the money. I do see on social media, meat analyst Matt Dalgleish, he's listened to this interview and says, I can't see how you can be so certain about such strong cattle prices, especially for young cattle that form the basis of the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator for the next five years. What happens if we go into a significant drought in 2025 or 2026? You can't forecast weather that far into the future, is the thoughts of analyst Matt Dalgleish.
1: G'day, my name is Floyd, yeah, I work in the Spanish mackerel fishery in, in the Gulf of Carpentaria. I love what I do and love my job and you're listening to The Country Hour. I'm
3: Matt Brown with you this afternoon, in a moment we'll be talking about crocodiles. <laughs> what does the next five years potentially look like for Australia's crocodile industry? The industry's new R&D plan has been released this month. We'll take a look at that. And also got a a little surprise coming up for you before 1.30. We'll be touching base with a cattle producer from the north who we heard from earlier in the week. She was flooded in and was very concerned about missing a certain concert in Sydney this weekend. Did Maddie managed to get to Sydney to see Taylor Swift. I'll oh, tell you soon. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon. How are you, Billy? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. That's the go. Did you know NASA has successfully landed a spacecraft on the moon for the first time in 50 years?
11: I did hear something like that on the radio this morning. Yeah, I didn't know though they were doing that, but uh, they've done it. Unmanned as well, did mm. I hear? Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, which, you know it's more exciting if, you know, someone steps out there and Yeah. <laughs> gets a flag going. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a long time between drinks though, isn't it? Fifty years.
11: Fifty years, yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing actually that it's been that long. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, my mum and dad used to tell great stories of was it was it nineteen sixty nine? When Neil sure. went for a stroll, I think it was, and um yeah, their stories of, in the little community they were living in, there was sort of one TV in the community hall, and the whole town just came in to watch the little TV, and that sense of not knowing what might happen, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and we've barely been back since.
11: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess with technology back then, it was a big deal. These days, oh, yeah. someone lands on the moon, it's like, yeah, <laughs> and? <laughs>
3: yeah, oh dear. Um, weather-wise, it's gone. A little bit quiet. If we look at the Daily Rain for Bulletin, a little mm. bit up in Arnhem Land. Gove Airport's had 63. Men and Greta Airport's recorded 20. Alexandria Downs out in the Barkley region's had 14 millimetres,
11: but, yeah, a little bit quiet. How's the weekend shaping up? Um, look, we're expecting it to pick up a little bit across the Top End. Um, today will probably be another quiet day like yesterday, with the, the northern Barkley um, and then up into the Arnhem District being most likely again. Um, and there is the risk of some severe thunderstorms this afternoon between about Tennant Creek and, and Pine Creek, um, maybe some locally damaging wind gusts or heavy falls. Um, but yeah, tomorrow there's going to be a trough sort of move northwards across the top end. So that should, you know, just, just give the weather a little bit of assistance. Um, I'm hoping it will result in a few more showers and thunderstorms across the top end. That's the expectation. Um, and then by Sunday, it's it's interesting, that trough will be sitting near the north coast of the Top End, and um, another little burst of the monsoon's going to come down through the Arafura Sea.
3: Ooh, yeah, it's
11: uh Yeah, it's probably going to be quite weak and short-lived, and probably just the, the northern Arnhem district is going to feel it. Okay. But uh, yeah, so it should be a bit of increase in rain um, through that part of the Top End, but overall for the Territory with this you know, monsoonal burst or period coming up, um, there's really not an elevated flood risk and the cyclone outlook is still very low for the next seven days. On the topic of cyclones, ex-tropical
3: cyclone Lincoln, it's off the WA coast and might be coming back to life, is that
11: correct? Yeah, it's doing its best. It has been struggling a bit in the last 24 hours, but um, Expecting it to yeah reform into a tropical cyclone later today, um, somewhere to the north of the the West Pilbara coast, and then it's yeah unfortunately going to curve down towards the the northwest corner of uh, WA, um, yeah possibly making landfall somewhere around Ningaloo or Carnarvon, <laughs> the old Cyclone uh, Alley. Yep. Yeah, a little bit that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's possibly a Category Two system later tomorrow.
3: Anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon?
11: Um, maybe the fishing. What's What are the coastal waters oh, yeah. doing on the, the weekend? The, mm. Yeah, the coastal waters. Look, they're um, westerlies, around about 10 to 15 knots. Um, maybe they'll pick up to around 15 to 20 knots sort of late in the weekend with that bit of monsoonal influence. But generally westerlies and, and same for the harbour, um, probably, you know, 10 to 15 knots. Okay. Um, yeah.
3: Not bad. Got a text here from someone, Matt. I was in the first year of high school when they landed on the moon. The whole school was glued to the old black and white TV and we were in awe. Says someone here on the text. It was a big moment, big moment. Yeah. Sure, lots of people have, yeah, memories, stories. Thanks for your time this afternoon, Billy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. We've also today been talking about pig dogging. Because there's some calls in New South Wales to have it banned, Alan Humpty do this afternoon says pig dogging should be banned everywhere, except the Northern Territory. Imagine the tourism, and imagine all the feral pigs that would be wiped out in the NT. It would be a
1: win-win, says Al. Pick up the March issue of Gardening Australia magazine for expert advice on growing bulbs. See inspiring garden makeovers, five ways to create a veggie bed and learn about she oaks and mid-season apples. And inorganic organic gardener, small gum trees for urban gardens, tips for success with garlic, plus attract wildlife to your backyard and the key to healthy soil. Gardening Australia and Organic Gardener. Available from newsagents and abcmagazines.com.au.
3: It is 11 past one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. AgriFutures Australia has identified the crocodile sector as an industry with a lot of growth potential and has this month launched a five-year research and development and extension plan for this industry. So to learn more about it, I spoke to Dr Sally Isberg, Who is one of the co authors of this report and is also the managing director for the Centre for Crocodile Research?
4: So the, the purpose of an RD plan is to get a whole of industry take on where the major problems within their production systems are, and like where the product, you know, where the inefficiencies are and where the opportunities are for Australia to be more competitive in its product and its product placement and its and ultimately our export markets. So the purpose of the research plan was to be able to go out to industry and collect information from those. Those people who are, you know, experiencing it on the ground to identify where those opportunities are.
3: And so, what are the problems facing the croc industry at the moment?
4: Well, the largest one is definitely around animal welfare. Just, you know, the concerns raised by consumers, and just making sure that we do meet our consumer um, expectations of, of how the product is achieved and. Australia by far leads the world on that. We've got a code of practice that we're currently updating. Uh, we're, we're leading the world in the actual research into the, the best way to house and keep and, and farm and raise uh, our crocodiles. But that's definitely the major threat that the industry faces is, is animal activist attack. Um, but also, you know, things like environmental sustainability. So corporate social responsibility... Uh, ranks the highest priority for all the all the respondents to the surveys that we put out.
3: And just on respondents, how hard is it to write a research and development plan for this industry uh, in that it's an industry that often shares very little information about itself?
4: Uh, probably... For those of us that are sort of working within the industry, I think that it, the information is actually quite available. Um, you're right; it is. It can be a little bit of a, a funny industry to get information out of, but it's like anything; it's all about relationships and you know building trust. So we actually had a really good engagement uh, with our survey. Um, we had. The producers, we found, were actually really willing to give us information, participate in the later workshop, and have a really healthy discussion around where the whole of industry was headed with these items.
3: Because I just look at the paper, Sally, and the most recent stat on the value of the industry is from 2014. So that's a decade Mm. ago.
4: Yeah, look, and that's that's just purely down to, um, you know, priorities at the time of, of the industry. So we have a Crocodile Farmers Association of the Northern Territory and one of the other... Areas of the R and D plan that was identified was to get those statistics updated. Yep. So, you know, again, it was identified, but it's all down to, you know, priority levels and, you know, what's the next cab off the rank there? We are a small industry. So ultimately there's only a small number of hands doing the majority of the carrying. So yeah, it's, it's been identified, Matt, but it's, it's not a, an industry weakness having, having stats like that. Uh, that outdated. We just need to get onto it.
3: Would you agree this is an industry that lacks transparency?
4: I don't think so any more than any other industry or business, to be honest, Matt. Um, we, As I said, we're leading the way on things like animal welfare. Our production stats can be quite easily obtained off the CITES trade database and through our, our federal government uh, reporting channels you know, I think it's sort of like, you know, if you go into any business and say we want to see behind the doors, mm. they're going to go, ah, well, hang on, what's, what's going on here? So, no, I, I think it's as transparent as any other business. It's just that it's, I don't know, because it's crocodiles, maybe people feel that it should be a bit more open gate, but there's still the same biosecurity and quarantine and um, you know, animal welfare measures that need to be put in place as well. So, yeah, I don't agree with that.
3: Uh, for you, Sally, what yeah. does success look like? From this plan?
4: Success to me looks like an industry that has increased export sales, and the ultimate way to achieve that is to maintain that natural animal leathers are by far superior to any faux leather products that's on the market. So all of the, the faux leather markets uh, products that are on the market all have some level of petrochemicals in them. So the whole animal activist argument around plant-based proteins and leathers being, uh, you know, a, a suitable alternative is, is not, not correct. They are not as long-wearing, they are not as durable, and they will end up in landfill a lot earlier. Whereas, you know, crocodile leather products, they are durable, they're long-wearing, and they are just... Beautiful products to 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 have and to to use. They yeah, they're just amazing amazing products. So that to me is what success looks like moving forward.
3: And is it a good time to be in the croc industry?
4: Yeah, I think so. Again, I think we're le- we're leading the way in terms of our animal welfare standards and the opportunity to continue to set what the best practice looks like. Uh, you know. Uh, export demand is still very strong. Uh, we're lucky that the saltwater crocodile product is far superior to the Nile crocodile or, uh, or American alligator product. So our product will always be purchased above uh, those ones. So yeah, I, I think it's a, a very optimistic industry to be involved in. And that was, that was also reflected through the rd and plan.
3: That's Dr Sally Isberg, who is the Managing Director for the Centre for Crocodile Research and one of the co-authors of the Australian Crocodile Industry RD&E Plan for 2024 to 2029. You can find the plan on the AgriFutures website. The report looks at many things, including opportunities to value add, such as selling crocodile fat, which is apparently used in the beauty industry. There you go. Maybe that's where I'm going wrong. I need a bit more crocodile fat in my beauty routine. Producer Dan, are you using a little bit of crocodile fat on the cheeks? No? I see where we are missing out. Now, earlier this week on the Country Hour, we heard from Maddie's staff at Nicholson Station, out there on the WANT border. Maddie was flooded in and she was worried, very worried. Worried that she would not be able to get over the river and not able to get onto a plane and make her way to Sydney to see Taylor Swift.
12: I understand you have tickets to a certain Taylor Swift this weekend. Are you putting in phone calls to that mail plane once again saying, hello, are you free to take me the other direction this time? Yeah, I am. I'm ready to leave Joel and Wyatt at home. <laughs> um, and, and looking around at charter flights to get me out of here on Friday. <laughs> oh, well, if anyone listening wants to go via Nicholson and take Maddie to where are you going? What Taylor Swift is it this weekend? Sydney. I'm going to Sydney, but in all honesty, I'd be happy to get to Halls Creek. Play, play, play,
3: play, play the... Yep, that was earlier in the week. And Nicholson Station got even more rain after that interview. So, did Maddie make it to Sydney? Did she make it? To Sydney to see Taylor Swift You'll find out next You'll get an update from Maddie next Let's have a song We're not going to play Shake It Off on the Country Hour No, no, no We've gone uh, back into the old catalogue of Taylor Swift Back in her country days uh, This is the tune from 2007 It's called Our Song front seat
9: of his car I grabbed a pen and an old napkin And I wrote down our song
3: From 2007. That's old school Taylor Swift. You are tuned into the Country Hour. You might not know this, but Taylor Swift's actually in Australia at the moment doing a few concerts. You across this? Doing a few concerts, and some of her fans have gone to great lengths to get to these gigs. After being cut off by wet season floods, at least two Swifties from northern cattle stations have had to get into helicopters, planes, all sorts of things just to make it to go and see their idol on stage. Bridget Herman has the story.
9: When Queensland's wet season threatened to derail Maddie Hall's chance to see pop star Taylor Swift perform in Sydney, she needed a getaway car and fast.
2: Um, So we've been reined in for the past five weeks and so this morning I had to get in a little R-22 mustering helicopter with no doors and fly into town to get on my Rex plane. She's a governess working on a station 70 kilometres
9: out of Normanton in the Gulf of Carpentaria. She knew all too well that being so remote might mean getting creative when it came time to head to the show
2: always been a possibility but it was always we might be able to drive, we might be able to drive and then on Monday it was like you're probably going to have to fly. So at the moment the river over the bridge to town is three metres above the road um, and the other bridges the other way to town are also well underwater um, and just road Like the water washes the roads out, now driveway floods over, things like that. Yeah, just flood water. Um, We've had a lot of rain being wet season and also rain in other places that runs down and brings floods with it.
9: And it's making for a round trip of more than 5,000 kilometres.
2: So I've gone from the station to Normanton to Cairns to Sydney and then my way back is Sydney, Mount Isa... Doomadgee, Mornington Island, Normanton station.
9: She isn't the only Swifty who's using a helicopter to reach the concert. On the other side of the country, in Western Australia, Maddie Staff lives on a station in the Kimberley, near the Northern Territory. Her summer was looking cruel when she also found herself flooded in.
12: Unfortunately, ex-tropical cyclone Lincoln had some other ideas and dropped over 200 mils in in a night basically and completely flooded us in like the river that we're next to came right up to the back of the house, the chicken coop, the dogs. Being wet season and where we are, uh, there's there's plenty of companies around that do offer charter services. However, I've got some very good friends and made a few calls around and shout out to Kayla for actually getting me onto uh, this pilot who happened to be based just up the road from us who was able to ferry me out that day. A typical 22, uh, we strapped my son into a baby carrier and then he's, yeah, obviously legally allowed to fly on my lap with another belt. So we strapped him in and uh, did what we could and no doors through some pretty interesting weather. It's been a journey to see the singer, but
9: these fans are ready to be enchanted.
12: Swifties go to some extreme lengths to get to get to Taylor Swift and um, it's, it's going to be... A fearless
3: night, hopefully. There you go. She made it. Maddie Staff from Nicholson Station on the WANT border. What an effort to get down to that concert in Sydney. Huge. Ah, someone says on the text, wouldn't it have been better to use that R-22 helicopter to go and shoot a few feral pigs instead of going to Taylor Swift? <laughs> that's uh, That's well done. That's really combining some of our stories today on the Country Hour. Just quickly... Our very own Swifty Dan, the man Fitzgerald's in the studio, not with news about Taylor Swift, but with news about the live export shipping company Wellard. It has released its half-yearly financial results today. How are the books looking for Wellard? Uh, they're
6: looking a little bit better over the previous period, Matt. Uh, Wellard posted a net profit after tax of US dollars mm-hmm. which is an improvement on the previous six months where it posted a five dollars US loss. Uh, Revenue reported in that half fell 21%. It says primarily due to two vessels spending various periods at anchor in that reporting period not being used.
3: Yeah, so the Ocean Drover and Ocean Swagman have spent a fair bit of time just anchored, swinging off the pickets.
6: Yes, that's right. And um, no exports to Indonesia over... Well, sorry, that wasn't in the reporting period. But, yeah, there was some reduced demand to Indonesia uh, that the company said did little to stimulate the demand for cattle. Uh, It says, though, the outlook is looking better. The Ocean Ute will load a shipment for Indonesia at the end of February after being at anchor awaiting
3: permits being released. Beautiful. Thank you for keeping us up to date, Dan. Someone here on the text has said, instead of Botox, why not Croc-Tox? And you could get... Paul Hogan to sell it in the US. That's that's not a bad idea. We should look more into the idea of selling crocodile fat into the beauty industry. Uh, thanks to everyone who got involved in today's Country Hour. We'll do it all again on Monday. Hope you enjoy the weekend. And to those listening in Borrolula, fingers crossed. Hope that food truck arrives tomorrow. Keep it rural. Yeah.